0: But you know that it is a process, that there's work involved, that people's lives are impacted, that not just a garment appears on your rack in your downtown shopping center. Things don't appear from nowhere and they don't disappear to, to nowhere as well. There's you know there's a huge consequence to the waste that's produced. There's a huge consequence to the, the lack of transparency that plagues the industry. <laughs>
1: listening to Made Better, a show exploring the power of creating and consuming more consciously for a healthier planet and perspective. I'm your host, Susanna Jaffa. Each episode, I connect with inspiring individuals to chat about the impact of what we wear, from clothing to cosmetics, and discuss how we can all journey to making better choices and why it matters. Join us each week as we shift the narrative around consumption, one conversation at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Made Better. Today, I'm really, really excited to be speaking to Vanna San, the managing director of Dorsu. Based in Cambodia, Dorsu is a label that believes in transparency and strives for a fairer fashion industry. They create beautiful capsule wardrobe essentials from soft remnant cotton jersey fabric, and each piece is produced with purpose and intention at their workshop in Kampot. Hey, Vanna, and welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Susanna.
1: I'm so excited that you're here and chatting with us. I've been working with Dorsu for many years and I am such a big fan of your brand, as are many people that I know in our community. So it's such a joy to speak to you and have you here today.
0: Likewise, and I'm so excited to, you know, finally connect with you and have a conversation. I think, you know, this the community has been, I think, one of the largest kind of learnings for us this past year and the strength and the necessity of having an amazing community around you when you're involved in these kinds of journeys and challenges and the great work that we're doing so I'm really excited to be here
1: amazing yes especially the sustainable fashion movement and getting together to kind of power that forward right And with that, I'd really love to get into it and learn more about your background, your career, which has been quite international, has taken you to quite a few places, Mm -hmm. and what led you to Dorsu.
0: Yeah, as you could probably tell, I'm a Cambodian-American. So I grew up in the States for the most part up until I was about 28, 29. So originally my family is Cambodian, in part Vietnamese, but definitely from Southeast Asia region. So I came back about 12 years ago, initially just kind of an exploration of my family's history and wanting to learn more but also wanted to connect with Asia and all of the exciting things that were going on over here. It was supposed to be just a six-month <laughs> trip and it's now been 12 years and I now, my partner and I own Salsu. We acquired it last year, a bit over a year ago now. Uh, time flies. Previous to, to, to coming on board, I had worked for DFS which is a duty-free uh, travel retail division of one of the largest luxury conglomerates in the world, so I, you know, I have a bit of experience in consumer marketing on the more the retail and sales. So, you know, coming from that background of you know understanding about all of the business of fashion and growth, and you know, like being exposed to that, and then recognizing in light of COVID and kind of the devastating impact on the garment industry here, with brands pulling out of contracts and everybody kind of not really knowing what to do, uh, people losing their jobs their livelihoods. Yeah, we decided that acquiring the company was something that we wanted to do. And I think everybody in Cambodia, most people in Cambodia know of, know of Thalsu. It's a very beloved brand and has a great community. And I think everybody was really rooting for it we're really happy that we were able to to come on' been an, an incredible experience and like you say it's a journey right <laughs> even if you're like the owner of a of an ethical manufacturing company you're still also kind of like figuring out figuring it out and dealing with day challenges of just running a business and keeping an organization going and keeping the lights on and all of that good stuff so it's been it's been an incredible journey so far
1: yeah definitely and I think that there's so many facets to being a fashion entrepreneur let alone an ethical fashion entrepreneur and I think there's a whole different experience in that sense and things that you're thinking about and things that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis with that you know, I'd love to know A bit more from your side about the brand, vision, design philosophy, and actually the setup, because Dorsu is what is termed a vertically integrated brand within the fashion industry. So you could share a bit more about that and Dorsu's general approach to creating fashion.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're really lucky to be able to own um, our supply chain and have full visibility into it. I think that for those not familiar with the garment and apparel and fashion industries, you know, there's a misconception that the people doing the design and the manufacturing are all kind of uh, controlled in the same place, but it's often things are outsourced and, you know, all sorts of manufacturing happens on behalf of brands in other countries and other locations. So there's that, definitely that lack of transparency that that can occur when responsibility and kind of accountability isn't always clear (laughs) and cut and dry. I think as a brand and as a sustainable fashion advocate and slow fashion advocates trying to kind of have people recognize that it's very much a process to make things that you know there's so much work involved in the construction of a garment going from seed to (laughs) whatever regenerative metaphor we want to talk about in terms of where we're going with all of this but you know that it is a process that there's work involved that people's lives are impacted that not just a garment appears on your rack in your downtown shopping center like Things don't appear from nowhere and they don't disappear to, to nowhere <laughs> as well. There's, you know, there's a huge consequence to the waste that's produced. There's a huge consequence to the, the lack of transparency that plagues the industry. So I think as a brand in that space, we just want to be a part of shedding light on kind of what it takes and what's, what's, what's actually going on behind the scenes.
1: I think that is really apparent in the communications you put out as a brand, and you are big advocates of transparency and kind of sharing that behind the scenes. And I think that's incredible. So, Thank yeah, you. you know, we I'm touched you like on it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it it's it really strikes me and, and stands out to me within the context of sustainable fashion brands within the region, in terms of the way that you communicate those values and also within the context of Cambodia, which I think is really, really important, the work that you're doing in the context of the wider fashion industry, garment industry in Cambodia. You touched on the fact that fashion is a hugely wasteful industry, which it is. But actually, your label uses remnant fabric and has upcycled nearly 1000 kg of deadstock material over the last year. Um, I'd love if you could share more about what deadstock actually means for those that may not be clear on it and how Dorsey uses that as a raw material in its supply chain
0: yeah i dead stock is basically just the waste that's generated by the wasteful and destructive practices of the of the larger industry whether it's bad forecasting or defective issues with defects in in the materials so essentially there's different markets of sellers who basically get the rights to buy the leftover materials from the factories that are that are engaged in the production and then basically just make sure that it's not going to waste and landfill. So we work which is interesting because I was having a conversation yesterday with some friends about what's the difference between recycled and upcycled and all of these terms that are like <laughs> like definitely super important and a part of you know the conversation. And it's good to get clear on it and to understand what it means but it's also like these are working with remnant and dead stock materials is like the best that we can do for sustainability where we are right now because everybody is looking to manufacture with organic cotton got certified and i think that it comes down to context and doing the best you can where you are and our ability to access these materials which the most sustainable Clothing is the one that's already in your closet. Then stands to reason, the most sustainable textiles are the ones that are already here with us. So I think that our approach to production and manufacturing here, working with remnant materials, it's a way of doing what we can where we are and decreasing kind of that pressure for. New virgin materials and the extractions and the just kind of the cost of of, of all of that and kind of mindless consumption. I, I'm not saying that it's perfect, and there's definitely ways to continue improving uh, and doing better. And I think that kind of built into your your brand and your the questions you have as well is like, the, what does it ma- mean to to do better and to make better and to be a better brand. So I think that for us, it starts with kind of doing where, what you can where you are.
1: Totally. I really, really resonate with that. And I think it's important that you've brought that up because I think, you know, sustainability now being such a big buzzword from brands to consumers, everyone's kind of in a a bit of a tiz, for lack of a better word, over the most sustainable option to go for, whether you're a consumer looking for something to buy, whether you're a brand looking at should I be using the latest natural fiber innovation or should I be using recycled this? I think it's bringing it back down to looking at what is the options that are available to you in the market. And I think what Dorsey has done is exactly that, you know, you've created a supply chain that really is the lowest carbon footprint in in many ways that you can as a brand, just simply by taking a look at what is out there. And actually in many ways, Which is converse to how the fashion industry and design normally happens, is looking at the fabrics that are actually available and then making design choices based on that. Right,
0: right. And I think that that's you know, it's it's one of those things that feels like so natural, but it's also kind of very kind of innovative in its own way when you think about it. It's like yeah, it's
1: actually not common.
0: Yeah, it's like actually, people are sitting somewhere sketching silhouettes and coming up with palettes. like without really looking at what's available somewhere and what is the cost of having these particular i mean it's it's design should be informed by the materiality and what's available in some ways the advancements in industrial processes and technologies which definitely led to improvements in human life and you know quality thereof it's also been super destructive and there's like stuff that within the sustainable The community the large large, that's discussing sustainability, I think there's so many aspects of it that it's not, it can't be boiled down to a choice of fabric. It can't be boiled down to, oh, you're sustainable because this certification says so you're sustainable because it's a work in progress, always ongoing. And I think as we continue to learn more and research more and understand more and kind of be more attuned to the challenges that we face as a global society, I mean, we recognize that these are not kind of independent issues that are isolated from one another. And I think that's where a lot of the kind of that wanting to make those connections between environmentalism and social responsibility and ethical labor and issues of gender, race, class, it's all connected. So I think that, yeah, we're just so lucky to be able to be a part of that community which i think really is like the the energy of sustainability is really a the community of people have taken it on as like the challenge of their life and the challenge of their of our times so i feel really fortunate because i get to work with you know, 20 amazing people who you know care deeply about what's happening in their communities and what's happening to their world around them i mean being in southern cambodia where hot life The ecosystems there are dependent upon rivers and estuaries and the natural environment around coastal areas. It's we have to think about these things on a day-to-day basis. Like the condition of the rainwater (laughs) down in Campa makes a difference in our fabric washing plan (laughs) and whether or not we can dry (laughs) the materials that are planned to be cut that day. So in some ways you want to think of it as like this industrialized, like mechanized process of like it's actually like you wake up every day and you look at the conditions around you and you decide like what how do I do this the most responsibly how do we do this in the most uh, responsible way for the for the environment and for the people as well but I think that's because you take people as real people and you have respect for their ideas and what they're dealing with and their challenges because that at the end of the day that's the team making it happen so I feel so lucky
1: yeah well I feel lucky to work with you guys and I think it is a much needed philosophy and shift in thinking behind how we create fashion that is more in tune with our environments and also the people around us and I think it's yeah a complete kind of we talk about mindset shift in terms of what we consume right. but we it's also mindset shift in terms of how we create how we, how we create you know? exactly and with that the garment industry is at the backbone of cambodia's economy and a lot of people may know this so the country is full of factories producing for some of the world's biggest brands including the world's biggest fast fashion brands. I'd love if you could give some context of this for us and share what garment workers are usually facing on a day-to-day basis and just what that whole landscape is like.
0: Yeah, I mean, Cambodia's success probably economically uh, over the past 20, 30 years is due in no small part to the garment industry and the work that um, these mostly women 80% of garment workers in Cambodia are women and one of the backbones of the of country's economic growth and i think in many ways it's also brought opportunities and the ability to make an income is really important for for people in the developing world that said i think there's been major <laughs> Kind of accountability issues around some of the more egregious uh, behaviors that are happening and just basic human needs. And I think it doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize injustice when you see it and when you're confronted by it. And in Cambodia, as we often are, wanting to be a part of um, improving things and making things better because recognizing the impact that you can have, potentially on the larger industry, I think is it's really quite incredible. So I think the garment industry is a double-edged sword. I mean, industry is a double-edged sword, right? It's going to bring along with it like huge set of challenges that we're going to need to look at together, right? I don't think it's as simple as people like to think it is also, in that the relationships between brands and suppliers and national governments and international, you know, organizations and treaties. And there's so, there's so much to it. And I think that, Fundamentally, the lack of power that the supplier side has, and you know, countries like Cambodia, it's like part of the problem. That relationship between buyers and suppliers, and I think there's there's incredible work being done by people in the community on just kind of how to improve those relationships for manufacturers. So I think that it, I invite people to learn more. I mean, there's so many great organizations doing work in Cambodia on labor, on the garment industry, and it's an area that's uh, deserves more attention and more research. But I think that what we we play a very small part in, I think, a counter example to to what you conventionally see here. So I think that kind of hope that we can impart for whatever <laughs> our our community is, I think that's where you know that potential to really have a larger impact is greatest, right?
1: Are there any other, you mentioned organizations, of course, big global movement is fashion revolution. And actually their theme this year was money, fashion, power. And there was a big emphasis on the power shift, uh, where power currently lies within the fashion industry in terms of negotiating deals and negotiating production. And often that's lying with the brand or big conglomerates.
0: With the money.
1: Um, Yeah, exactly. And I'd love to know, are there any other organizations or brands you feel that people should follow, learn more about?
0: Oh, there's incredible, there's incredible organizations. Better Factories Cambodia has been doing incredible work. The ILO, brands like Pelé, uh there's such a large community of people um here and i think it's because cambodia's always had a kind of strong ngo presence international organizations have been doing lots of great work here the garment manufacturers association there's a lot and i think that that's part of having the best the most impact is to be working with that community and to kind of make kind of recognize like you're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Like you didn't come in and you're reinventing the wheel, but there's a lot of great research out there. And then like talking with garment workers and meeting them. And I think it's always also a great way to kind of understand why I wish there was more voices of those people, but I'm also mindful that like don't necessarily want to make somebody a representative for an entire category that, it's so diverse and so people in organizations and different ways to be engaged right in, in terms of sustainability and circularity and people doing repairs on the streets or people like just kind of trying to take care of things a bit better cambodia's got a really good i think historically like a really good scene for kind of linking up with organizations and other people doing doing some cool work and then it lets you kind of connect to stuff happening Regionally and globally as well, and recognize things like fashion revolution. Like, it's not a Cambodia thing. It's not just a Bangladesh thing. It's not just a Indonesia, Myanmar, uh, Dominican. No, it's a global thing. And I think recognizing that is super important because I think that so often, like, we're in these isolated pods all over the world in our own little in our own little bubbles, so to speak. But recognizing also that you're connected to so many other other people and amazing and amazing things. I that's Yeah, I think that's where I kind of derived kind of (laughs) the endless energy (laughs) to be able to kind of take on. It's like, if you see what other people are doing and the struggles that they're in, like it's, it's amazing. It's inspiring. I mean, we're taping today what on International Workers Day to see kind of the different groups that are coming out all over the world to stand up for the rights of workers and to recognize like workers have created everything (laughs) that we consume and everything that's made our world comfortable and we need to recognize that and we need to honor that i think in many ways like cambodia and other production centers like getting that recognition i think coming out of covid also i think people are much more mindful now about supply chains (laughs) and the fragility thereof. (laughs) so i think good things to be taken from it i think it's these conversations that are not becoming optional right sustainability it's it's moved from just oh, the a conversation among the elites about this and that. It's like nope this is everybody. We're all in this together. There's nobody that this doesn't impact. So yeah, I think being in Cambodia, it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting time in it, but it's a really good kind of way to leverage networks that are both regional and global.
1: Yeah, I I feel you on that, and I think that also in regards to the sustainability conversation, a lot of it from a sort of higher level in terms of brands both fast fashion to luxury, as well as general discourse has focused a lot on the environmental impact of fashion, what you may call sustainability. Well, a lot of brands choose not to focus so much on the ethics side because there's still a lot of that. You can look at what happened to garment workers during the pandemic when so many brands withheld funds for production, all of that that was happening and the amazing work. There's the pay up campaign by Remake, which really brought that that to the fore. Yeah, It really brought that to the fore. And I think that now i think there's this big shift in really focusing on the people that make our clothes that that has always been prevalent in in a grassroots way but i think that that you know as more and more organizations and campaigners and activists join this conversation that is kind of filtering down into more mainstream consciousness for consumers which is important because sustainability isn't just about better fabrics better resource use, minimizing your impact, less microfibers, all of these things is not just about that because a product cannot be sustainable or turn sustainable if it's made with unjust labor practices. It's just one cancels out the other. You know, you can't pretend to be doing good work or say that you're doing good work when actually the people who make your clothes and products are suffering in any way, shape or form. It comes down to Humanizing fashion because all fashion, essentially, at some point in the supply chain, is handmade. Yeah,
0: I mean, the best ones are, I think. Um, yeah, you know, I the, the best made garments, the most well constructed garments, are made by hands. Like it's you, you like the individual tailoring that goes into a couture gown or a great, well made. You, know, you were talking about kind of sustainability and how it's not just this or it's not just that kind of practice. It's also like sustainability. I think there's different kinds of sustainability, right? It's not just environmental sustainability, but there's also social sustainability. There's like business sustainability financially. And I think that around sustainability, I think we need to also like kind of maybe start to define what we're talking about a bit more just so that it's not kind of getting lumped in because I think it's become one of those things where nobody like it's just eye roll like you hear sustainability and you're like oh gosh just gonna be some greenwashing and like you don't know who to trust Um, but I think that uh, I think if we can enhance our understanding of what sustainability means to also encompass social community sustainability uh also financial sustainability <laughs> um you know it's it's all it would also it help give more nuance i think to the conversation which we could, all, we could all use a bit more nuance to things you know because i think that
1: exactly you know,
0: that's where you'll find solutions
1: exactly that's exactly why we are creating this podcast to have conversations that convey that nuance and for people to understand from the mouths of people who are building these brands or advocating within this space to understand their perspectives and opinions and kind of bring, convey the the complexity of actually campaigning in the ways that we do within this space. I mean, Dorsu does strive to do things really differently within the realm of labour and the context of Cambodia. Could you share more about the people behind the clothes at Dorsu and what you know behind the scenes looks like, what or, or your day-to-day kind of looks like.
0: Yeah. Day to day, we're uh, we're a kind of multi-location <laughs> operation. And so I I have my office and studio here in Phnom Penh, which is the capital of, Phnom Penh, of Cambodia. And then we have our workshop, our production studio, uh, which is down in the coast in Kampot where our full-time staff, I think about 17, 18 folks down there. And that's where all of the construction and the production happens. We're at the end of the day I think we're an ethical business, which means we have to run like a business having clear meetings and objectives and working towards goals and getting alignment on things it's it's just like any other organization or business from that perspective because at the end of the day like you need to i think one of our one of the things that we consider to be part of being an ethical business is like being a registered business being a business that has transparency around its it's finances and it's accounting and opening that up to auditors. And okay, like the developing, a developing market like Cambodia, there's not many businesses that would do that. If you've experienced it, like you understand, like the, the mom and pop shops, like they're opening on the streets, you know, it's, it's not necessarily at that level yet. So I think we're kind of one of the first kind of locally grown brands and companies that are kind of wanting to be a part of that wave of kind of really helping to modernize kind of the business operations and systems here a little bit and showing that it can be done and that, yes, it sucks to pay tax, but it's for a greater good and we need to do it and we need to like budget that as part of our operational. (laughs) The The day-to-day is, it's a lot of communication. It's hopefully not a lot of meetings because we don't want to just get like drawn into extended uh conversations but i mean there's we usually wear production hats so there are Capacity in our pipeline is usually booked weeks or months in advance, both for our own label as well as for people and brands that we partner with to produce customized merchandise or garments. It's a manufacturing facility. Some days you're out at the fabric markets negotiating with sellers, trying to get good prices on jersey or rinse fabric or French Terry. You know, other days we might be having conversations about how to improve accounting systems or how do we set up incentive structures for for staff tied to performance and just kind of treating it like a real company and what you would do for people that you want to see grow and that you want to see develop in a business that, I mean, ultimately, I mean, I think the idea for any owners to be able to kind of step away from it a little bit so that like it can kind of run on its own and I think that we slowly but surely we're going to get there. I think that Ultimately, the team is so amazing and incredible and the community is out there and the work is out there. And there's so much, there's so many amazing partners looking for ethical manu- manufacturing partners. So I think we're in, a, we're in a good place. We're in a good spot. I mean, we do all of the planning, but at the end of the day, like sometimes you just need to go to plan out when the opportunities come up and <laughs> just kind of do do the best that you can with all of that.
1: Yeah. And within the context of the way Dorsu approaches ethics as a label. You've talked about living wage versus minimum wage and what that means also within the context of Cambodia. Would you be able to shed a bit of light on that? Because minimum wage and living wage are two quite different things Yeah. and how you approach this as a label.
0: Yeah. I mean, we pay what's considered a living wage and the living wage is based on studies that were done by an organization called the Anchor Anchor Institute. It's a partnership. It's a research partnership. So and there's a couple of different kind of benchmarks that one could follow. It could be the Anchor framework, or it would be, I think the other one is PayFloor Asia. There's a couple of different mm-hmm. organizations that have worked on a kind of calculation for what it would actually take to for somebody to be able to live a decent life in a particular location. Yeah. In Cambodia, the minimum wage in the garment industry, I believe this year, is somewhere around 190 to $200 mm. per month, which is actually based on working six days per week, like mm-hmm. crazy hours, and then overtime, et cetera, et cetera. But I think ultimately, it's it's not a life that any of us would consider to be something that one would strive for. So I think that, it's not necessarily something that we can kind of not make available as a work opportunity, but can we find ways to do it where it's still offering time for people to be human and live their lives and spend time with their, the people that uh, they want to spend time with and just treat people a bit more fairly. So the living wage is, I think, for Anchor I think it's something like, they said 210 is what's needed, so it's about 10% above what the current minimum wage is but our staff Mm. all are are 250 starting most of them have progressed well beyond that now so we're we're well above the the living wage um standard but that's just even entry level i mean for us it's gosh as a business owner right it's like (laughs) i dream of the day when we can make enough profit that we can use that to grow salaries and be able to offer it back to people i mean ultimately Kind of mathematical <laughs> it needs to make the the right kind of sense for the business but we have every intention of one day in the future when we are profitable to, to have profit sharing amongst staff and to and to make sure that the successes of the company are not only enjoyed by the owner or the major shareholders so i think that that's that's another part of kind of like the business model where if you're not a business owner or how do we become more ethical around who how, like the dynamic of this business how does it work so I think that we're always kind of trying to look for ways to improve our our actions and our responsibilities in those areas being in ethical business but yeah I mean I hands off to anybody who runs a business it's it's hence amount of work most of it you can't be planned right it's like half of the day is just kind of putting out fires that occur and then the other half is trying to go back to your to-do list and see what's next up but yeah I think that you know it means a different thing for everybody and I'm, I'm here for all of the different versions of it as long as, as long as nobody's As long as people aren't getting harmed and like the best interests of uh, the community are, are, are there, like I think that it's all really dependent on where you are.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for contextualizing that. I think it's quite vague for some people, minimum wage versus living wage. And some may say, you know, it's all well and good to pay a minimum wage. Okay. Tick that box. But actually the minimum wage, uh, to my best understanding from brands that I've encountered and worked with and spoken to, who were striving to do better work in this space on behalf of their production teams and the people making the clothes, it's really, you know, not in line with what it actually takes to survive. And we, we're not really talking about about also within the garment industry and building careers within the garment industry. It shouldn't just be about surviving. It should be about growing and thriving and building a career. This is, it's not just about kind of staying on this level, which may be for many like a bottom kind of rung, you know, it shouldn't just be about that. And it's always made me think working with brands like yourself and learning more about your work and comparing that to the context of the wider fashion industry, it's always made me wonder, like, when is that going to shift for people to understand that perhaps you'd be really passionate about making clothes and want to genuinely, as a producer, a garment worker, build a career, you know, progress to maybe being a supervisor or a floor manager and all of these different things and career opportunities that there must be. That has to kind of come in line with looking at garment workers as holding power. And at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of you have a lot of companies in developed countries like the states who are unionizing, demanding X, Y, and Z from employers. And there hasn't been that kind of representation for the people making our clothes. And I think that right now it's amazing to have employers, I guess you could say as Dorsu is, to kind of already put in place that and have those values from the start to want to empower their workforce to kind of grow and to think of garment production in such a way that it holds this value because the people that make dorsu garments are the backbone of your business they wouldn't exist your business wouldn't exist without that absolutely And yeah i i wonder how long it's going to take for this for this wider shift to happen because i think that garment manufacturing in itself has been devalued. And this also plays into the way we as the end consumer devalue our clothes and what it really takes to make them. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, like the greatest asset that we have as a company is our people, everything else aside. And I think that it's kind of a basic business tenet that you nurture and develop your people and they will take care of you. Right. I think that trying to achieve the level of quality that we go for in our production, maintain that level and improve upon it, which I think is is kind of a basic business principle. Also, I mean, in many ways, it's not kind of doing mean, rocket science here, but it does it does require like an attention to kind of the things that that are the most important, which is the people and the people who are making it and the people who are doing it. And I think that it speaks to that disposable mindset that we have. Things just magically appear here on the shelves and on our, in our, in our, on the racks and in these stores. And I think that the more that we do get connected and that we do learn about other brands and other companies and what other people are doing and not just take things for granted. Being that more mindful, conscious consumer that is asking why, that is asking who, that is asking where, (laughs) that is saying, show me the receipts that's us exercising our power as consumers in a good way. (laughs) Normally, Mm -hmm. they're just like, ah, for the most part, $5 t-shirt, great. It's like, I think getting away from that mindset and taking responsibility for for the actions that we do. So I think think that it's already happening. I think that you do see a shift. Younger generation always drives these kinds of changes in the approach to a large-scale assumption that we just took for granted that t-shirts would magically appear for five dollars on the rack no yeah no absolutely not i think that it's you know i'm i'm encouraged and i'm inspired by the energy that i see from the younger generations around these issues and it's the grievous injustice that we're doing is to the future generations who aren't even here yet who will have to deal with a phenomenally hot world and one where they're going to be faced with so many challenges and i hate to think that they'll look back and think that we didn't do everything that we could right everything that um, Mm -hmm. we're capable of and i think that we are capable of so much as as human beings that are privileged to have life and intelligence for the most part and to do something with them for the most part i'm incredibly inspired but i'm being in cambodia and seeing what these amazing women and young men can make in our workshop and what they're able to do i mean i love i love the part of garment workshop manufacturing that's like problem solving and puzzling things out and deconstructing patterns and figuring like it's it's that's like critical thinking skills, seeing them in action. I think in a place like Cambodia where education is also just such a, in a dire state of <laughs> needing support and it's these women mostly haven't been to school, haven't been through formal education. God, like they can absolutely, uh, I think, stand toe to with all the best garment makers in the world. And I'm so incredibly proud of that. And I recognize that that is probably actually the greatest value of the companies. It's these people and what they can make and we're always going to be about quality and construction and delivering what we say that we'll deliver to our clients and to our customers and taking care it's just in some ways it's just like god like building a team that cares about this stuff Yeah, building a team that cares about a well-made turtleneck or a t-shirt or any kind of garment and I think just instilling that kind of approach into, into into the process I think goes a long way, especially when you have a story that other people can also identify with and kind of see and then take on to apply it to their own individual, organizations or businesses or projects or how do we how do we become more mindful in in all aspects of life
1: i feel you on that totally i think it's I, I mean i feel so inspired just having this conversation with you and and it's made me think a lot about yeah where the industry is headed but also the fact that there are so many already a lot of organizations out there that are campa- campaigning for change and there has been a shift in knowledge and understanding and awareness of this space in general i can see that through the people i follow on social media the conversations people are having the fact that governments are starting to really get involved in regulation it's just the tip of the iceberg but it's starting to happen and i think with more and more people rallying to raise awareness of this space and shift narratives around how fashion is made and consumed i think that within the next 5 years it's going to it's a really exciting a pivotal in terms of c- climate change connection but i think it's going to be a very exciting time for the industry to really shift that narrative and culture around creation and consumption that currently exists and kind of make it fairer for everyone but with that i'd love to know What more progress do you feel like there needs to happen? Do you think ethically produced fashion could become the norm? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I would love to be in a world where we don't have to market things or label things as ethical or sustainable, where a world where ultimately that becomes the norm. And that's like the expectation that we should have is that it is sustainable in whatever ways that that can mean and that it is ethically made because we don't. We're not a species that will tolerate otherwise, (laughs) because we can control it. We can absolutely, we can absolutely control it. I'm not saying it's easy, but we know we can absolutely make that change and make that improvement. And I know there are so many great organizations and people working on it. So I do believe that we can, we can get to, to that kind of a world. It's going to take radical rethinking of so much of what we currently do and how we do it and bringing people to the table that weren't part of the conversation before, such as garment workers, such as garment manufacturing owners, such as, in addition to the designers and the creatives and the marketers and the financiers, the production and recognizing all of the different stakeholders, the community, government, uh, the schools, the everybody is kind of in this together it's the banks are intimately involved the all the people that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis it's like that's not the glamorous stuff you're not like writing down like i gotta go see the the tax department and go talk to this lawyer about this (laughs) it's but you know that's the work that's the work of uh, making that change incrementally step by step but i do absolutely think that we're we're moving in in the right direction for sure sure. I mean, I think we've got monstrous headwinds <laughs> against us, uh, but that's why it becomes so important to kind of prioritize and really kind of take care of oneself and one's well-being so that you can show up as Fully mm-hmm. present and responsible, and because like it or not, people are looking up to you. You've got people out there looking up to these conversations and kind of listening and paying attention. And I think that the best we can do to honor that is to like show up your best self as often as you can, which means taking care of yourself and recognizing that you are part of a team and a community. And I think, well, you know, staff of twenty, it's like I'm not I'm not making those patterns. Not doing all the yep. QC, not buying all the fabrics. We do that as a team, and we kind of try to let everybody shine as themselves, doing what they're what they're good at, what they want to be doing. So I think paying attention to that uh, on that granular level, I think that's kind of that, that everyday work of like systematic change.
1: Hey, hey, <laughs> I completely resonate with what you're saying and I I mean I believe the same and it's going to take a community of people putting in that work but at the same time taking care of themselves to continue doing that work do you know what I mean
0: yeah for sure I think it's, I think the more that we can stay connected with one another and remind ourselves that you're not alone. I invite everybody to come to Cambodia as soon as they can, whenever they can, visit the workshop, meet our team, meet, see who we are, see where we work, see what we're really up against, see what 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 kilograms of waste fabric looks like. (laughs) Like really. That kind of real life connection, I think, can't be replaced, even in the digital age. And you have all the images and all of the all of the content out there, but to really kind of experience it firsthand for oneself, I think it's a, it's an invaluable experience.
1: Yeah, I really can't wait to visit myself. I'm planning my trip, and you're going to be wait. my tour guide.
0: <laughs> yes. When are you like, yeah. tentatively later this year?
1: Maybe July or August. Uh, potentially, but I don't know if those are good times to come by. I'm not yeah, sure. It's still we rainy can chat about season. that. Yeah, but, we can um, chat about it. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm really definitely planning like probably five, six days because I want to take time to go and see some different places. Oh well, we and had um, some
0: Zarin community members come to Cambodia yes, So that's yes. been amazing. I mean, yeah, it's like,
1: yeah.
0: Wow. It's like incredible how like little seeds get planted here and there and then like dots are connected and just ma- it seems totally. almost magical but it does remind you that like the community is actually real people <laughs> you exactly.
1: know are doing
0: amazing things so i think you know you do, you've been doing such an amazing job and i'm really looking forward to also to coming to singapore one day and yeah seeing totally.
1: yeah i will i'll be, be your tour guide and yes <laughs> please <laughs> and with that we've been talking about, you You touched on sort of inclusivity, and we've been talking about sustainability and social impact here. But just like the term sustainability, the ter- the words inclusivity and diversity are now becoming quite big buzzwords when we talk about ethics within a brand, because I think that ethics doesn't just mean fair labor and fair treatment of employees within th- this context of better made fashion. It also means Being more inclusive in your approach to how you translate what you value as a company. Yeah. And now a lot of. Brands are focusing on that, some paying more lip service to that, I would Mm -hmm. say, and sort of jumping on it as a trend, Mm -hmm. and others who have really been doing deep work to show representation, both of their communities, and I think in terms of transparency in terms of their production, because let's face it, the majority of the clothes that are produced and the majority of garment workers are people of color. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to know then what these words inclusivity diversity actually mean to you both personally and as a slow fashion brand owner
0: yeah i think this is something that's very personal to me because recognizing as a queer man that the garment and fashion industries have for a long time like whether it's by designers or people work in the industry it's been or people actually doing the production it's been largely a community of marginalized people from the (laughs) get-go and that it's also an industry that is largely right like heavily emphasizing image and a representation of beauty and an ideal of what an aspirational ideal that drives consumption and all of this stuff and it's you know you see that inclusion is it's part of the vision and one of the kind of larger goals that we have is to be a brand that is inclusive. Whatever that means to, to, to people and that we, we hope that we are able to kind of explore what that means because I feel like inclusion like should be uncomfortable, right? <laughs> if you're just doing things that are comfortable for you, then that's not really being as inclusive. I think that true inclusion is something much more complicated. I think there's dimensions of sizing, there's dimensions of pattern making, there's dimensions of um, design, you know, where the decisions that we make are actually decisions about who is or is not part of our community or our our brand or who our garments are made for. And I think that being mindful of how do we create and design and develop in a way that allows as many people a possible entryway into our world, our community, our brand, I think that's the most important thing. And I think that will continue to evolve and change as new areas of discomfort and challenging conventional, preconceived notions about things. And I think that's a good thing. We should embrace we should embrace those challenges and those questions as something that will help us grow and build and be more inclusive. So I think Just bringing the production workers to the conversation is also, it's very much, you know, it's a part of the inclusion strategy, how we represent ourselves using models who are Khmer or Cambodian or people of color, trans people who identify all across the spectrum. In in some ways, it's the natural community that we swim in. It feels like it's so diverse mm-hmm. and so many incredible people from all different walks of life. So I just think, you know, in some ways, it's like they really want to have like an open door policy for pretty much everything, as long as it's not harming others. They, the original co-founders were very very big on making sure that the brand was inclusive and emphasized to be yourself, be who you are, come as you are, mm-hmm. because everybody is everybody is welcome even though you know we are a specific we're a basics brand we embrace the <laughs> we embrace the the comfortable the fabrics that are easy and whatever yeah. but there is there's something for everyone
1: amazing to round off this conversation then something that we ask every guest is to finish off with what made better means to you
0: i keep coming back to mindfulness and appro- it's an approach to the way that we create and the way that we consume and the relationship between the, those, those actions and, and energies that has the potential to change the world and the way that we work is, in a better way. So made better to me is approaching those processes with more, with more thought and more care for, for one another and eventually, ultimately, for our planet. So I think that made better. It's an incredible energy. That's you know, something that that we get to experience, thankfully, on a day-to-day basis. Whether it's through social media in our amazing community, just kind of staying connected with one another. It's the task that we're all that we're all engaged in together to make things better.
1: Yeah. Hey. hey. Cheers to that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us and being here for this conversation it's been so enriching and has actually uplifted my day as well and made me think more about our mission you know at Aaron and you know my what why I do even do what I do personally is to kind of amplify the work of amazing brands and individuals like yourself.
0: I mean, I just want to be clear that we wouldn't be here without you guys. I mean, the community and that's been really incredible. And it's really, you know, this past year was tough. 2021 was a hard year. (laughs) It was not easy. It was really through the support of our community and working together. So I just want you to recognize and to also appreciate how much we appreciate you.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much, Vanad, for joining us. And yeah, I We'll see you in Cambodia soon. I
0: can't wait, Susanna. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Made Better. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word. Share it on social media, with friends, or leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find us. You can also read show notes of this podcast over on our website, zarin.com. Zerin is a marketplace and media platform connecting you with independent, sustainable brands and content empowering you to consume more mindfully. You can also follow us on Instagram at Zerin underscore com and you can find me there too, at Susanna Jaffa.